right? And can I tell you, I know that somebody might think to themselves like, hey man, this was a, it was probably the result of me sitting at home beating them over the heads with my Bible. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you where my kids learn their faith? When you talk to them and unpack their lives a little bit, you know where they found it? They found it by watching me on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because it's got to get real to you. And let me tell you this, if you want your kids to find Jesus, don't leave it up to their children's church moment. Right? Their children's church moment should just be a great moment for you to discuss with them. Or youth group on Wednesday night. Don't leave it up to them for that. They, they need to see you. And there's times when you're going to read your Bible and they're not going to see you. But trust me, somewhere in the spiritual realm, they'll see you. Because it'll leak out of you. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I should get back to the message. That's good. 21 United. Some of you are wondering what in the world 21 United is about. Let me tell you what it's about. Our church has engaged for, for 21 days at the beginning of every year of time for a time of prayer and fasting. And what the real purpose is, is for us to really, really avail our hearts to God and, and really begin to expose to us a few things. And I think it's important that we do that. Maybe you've missed out on the first week and there's 14 days left. Can I tell you, join us for 14 days and be part of what we're doing. Maybe you weren't here last week and you didn't join in on time. Can I tell you, guilt be gone in Jesus' name. Just jump in and be a part of what we're doing. Uh, Jordan, you have those journals? Uh, We have a couple of journals, thank you, that that we're selling. And these ones were given away, these, these little ones here. And we have kid versions and we have adult versions and we're selling these for 12 bucks. And... And why are we doing all that? We want to give every tool possible to you for you to grow in your spiritual journey with God. Everything we possibly can to come up with it because we want to, we want to remove all of the barriers right, that we can to kind of give you an opportunity to grow deeper in your walk with God. So why do we pray and fast? There's really five objectives that I want to see. I'm going to remind you of them right now. The things I want to see happen through this 21 days of prayer and fasting. The first is we really want to see release in our walk with God. We want, or we want, I'm sorry, we really want to reassess our walk with God. Sometimes our, our journey with God becomes this uh, walk that we've had a long time ago. When you first gave your life to Christ or surrendered your life to Christ, you had a journey where there was a lot of grace and there was a lot of, well, sure, get away with that for now, but eventually you're going to have to get moved beyond childish things into more mature things. Uh, this is 21 United is where you get to reassess your walk with God. It's kind of like when my kids move from grade school to high school, and they began to talk a little bit more adult to adult. And that's how God wants you to do with your walk with him. He wants you to reassess your journey. Where are you with him right now? Are you at a place where he's saying, listen, like Justin said, we're going to lead you in a place of faith. Step out and trust me, right? We want to reassess your walk with God. This time with God, we want to really help you identify some things in you that need to die. A time of prayer and fasting is a real moment for us to really see a few things that need to die. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, And Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. To me, a time of prayer and fasting is an opportunity for us to really say, God, what are some places in my life that need to die? What are some habitual sins? What are some things that I'm calling okay that are just simply compromise? Maybe there's some places in your life that God's saying, enough. I know he is for me. He's telling me some things. Hey, listen, you got to get beyond that, Lance. you got to get some, take some steps in the right place. And, and this time of prayer and fasting is kind of really bringing that to the surface for me. Maybe that's happening for you as well. 
In this time of prayer and fasting, I think there's not only are we to reassess our walk with God and to find some things that need to die, but really a time of prayer and fasting is also an opportunity for you to see a few things that need to come to life. Some things that have been lying dormant that God wants to stretch you in and help you grow up. Ezra chapter 37 verse 4 says this, Then he said to me, or Ezekiel chapter 37 says this, Then he said to me, Speak to these dry bones. Speak to these dry bones and listen to the word of the Lord. Some of us have some places in our walks with God that are dry bones that literally need to be spoken to. Some places in our lives that we've just literally not said, it's time to move beyond this childish thing. It's time to, 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 to begin to take some ground that I've been kind of wallowing around in for a while. In this time of prayer and fasting, I believe God wants us to get some clear direction for the year. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, So now the Lord says, stop right where you are. Look at the old godly way and then walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you need some direction. You're trying to figure out what to do. This prayer and fasting moment is a great time to get some clarity and direction. And finally, my hope for this fasting time is that you'll make room for breakthrough in your life. Some of you have been struggling with addiction. Some of you have been struggling and living underneath it. Some of you have been having thought life problems. Some of you have been having financial problems. Some of you have been having all kinds of marital problems. And you're seeking breakthrough. This time, let me tell you this. You've got to spend some time fasting and praying and saying, God, enough is enough. And do it corporately with a bunch of people so that peer pressure can be on your side. <laughs> and allow God to do that. This is a great opportunity for you to really step in and say, God, speak to me in this moment. So why fasting? Why removing something that's, that's additional to your life? Why does that somehow make a difference spiritually for you? I don't exactly know, except I do know this. That fasting is really, I sat down with a, a pastor friend last night for dinner, and I was talking to them, and, and I he was talking about fasting, and I said, you know what I think fasting is? Is fasting is really nothing more than picking a fight with your flesh. Picking a fight with your flesh. So whatever it is that you're fasting, uh, some people are fasting food. I'm fasting two meals a day. Maybe you're fasting other things in your life. I've heard of people fasting their, their cell phones to the internet, to removing apps off their phones, to uh, swear words. I don't know. I mean, what, whatever. There's people who are saying, listen, the, my go-to is not going to be gone to for the next 21 days. Right? And, and let me tell you this. When you begin to pick a fight with your flesh, it doesn't like it. Come on. Well, leave me out here alone. Man, yesterday about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, because I eat dinner around 5, right? Trust me, it's, I eat at 5 on the dot. It was seriously, it was 4 o'clock, and I was like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere in the world. <laughs> don't come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? That moment of justification, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, there's grace, 5, 4, what's the big deal? And literally, literally, I said that to myself, and I said, you know what the big deal is? Hundreds of you fighting your flesh at the same time. And so I said, not on, your, not on your life, flesh. Get behind me, Satan. I can do this for another hour. Come on, that's picking a fight with your flesh. Let me tell you this. If you don't pick a fight with your flesh, your flesh is going to pick a fight with you. You know why? Because your flesh always wants to remind you that it's the boss. Who's the boss of you? Is it your flesh or is it the Spirit of God? That's what fasting is all about. It's this big fat reminder of who's the boss of you. Come on, come on. Fasting, I believe, is one of the quickest ways to get to the bottom of you. You know, it's interesting, in the Bible, fasting was initiated one of six times. And there are different six reasons why fasting took place. There was a time of mourning, there was fasting. 
time of inquiry, a time of repentance, a time of preparation, or a time of crisis, and a time of worship. These six times were usually things that happened that brought on fasting. So why fast? I said this to you last week. Fasting isn't one of those things that you have to pray to do. I don't know if you realize that or not. And let me just be the pastor who says that to you. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Fasting is like uh, serving or uh, being nice to your wife, uh, reading your Bible, praying. It's a spiritual discipline, right? Spiritual disciplines you don't have to pray to do. You don't have to say, Jesus, am I supposed to read my Bible? (laughs) Am I supposed to trust you with my life? Come on. Those are spiritual disciplines that you walk out. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. You don't have to pray if you should fast. You should pray what you should fast, right? So join us in that process. And when you start to pick a fight with your flesh, it will rise up and say, that's a bad one. Don't do that one. Pick a different one. I mean, I'm telling you, it's been so fun listening to stories from all of you in different ways that you're saying, I just want to put God first. And I can tell that it's been a battle and I can tell that it's been a fight, but I can also see we're on the edge of some breakthrough. We had a great night on Friday night where we had our first prayer night. I'm telling you, this Friday coming up, you are not going to want to miss it. This Friday night coming up, we're going to do what we're calling intercessory worship. Where, where, how many of you have ever been those times of worship when our worship team starts to go and you're like, oh, we're done already? Why do we have to stop now? Ever happened to you? Right, so that Friday night, we're literally going to, the whole night's going to be devoted to worship and prayer. So we're going to have the worship team up here the whole time. They're going to bloody their fingers on their guitars, playing, singing, vocal cords are going to get strained, but they're going to reach Jesus and we're going to do it with them. Right? So if you want to just have a time to unplug, take your watch off, let your hair down and worship Jesus, come on out. Amen? Let me tell you, when you do that, things happen. It's really special things, and God wants to do some wonderful things in you. Reading, praying, fasting. I love this. Hey, listen, if you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Lamentations. We started a three-week series last week in Lamentations. I confess to you that I don't think I've ever preached out of Lamentations. Uh, I've heard other people tell me they've never really heard a sermon out of Lamentations. Anybody, everybody ever Lamentations? You spend a lot of time there? It's a fun book. The word lament comes from lamentations, right? The idea. It means to grieve out loud. (laughs) Who wants to just start out their day reading lamentations, right? It's just not a lot of fun. Jeremiah the prophet was known as the weeping prophet, wrote the book of lamentations. As Jeremiah writes the book just prior to this, 52 chapters, he literally says to the children of Israel, hey guys, get it right, stop messing around, do the things you're supposed to do or bad stuff's gonna happen, right? They didn't listen for the 52 chapters. They didn't listen for the whole time. And so what happened? Bad things began to happen because they ignored God. They walked away from him. They did exactly what they weren't supposed to do. And and, and what happened then is that the the bad guys from Babylon came and just beat them up, put a big old whooping on them, took away their best men, killed and stole their wives, stole all their goods and took over their land, right? This was known as the Babylonian exile. In this moment, so literally the children of Israel have been absolutely ravaged. Jeremiah then writes a book in response to all of this horrible devastation that happened in the nation. And the book is called Lamentations. It's the cry. It's the lament. It's the sorrow. It's the, gosh, why, did we, why didn't we listen book of the Bible? 
Uh, it's written in a really special way. If you actually knew a little biblical Hebrew, you'd know that it's actually written with the 22 letters of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew alphabet. It, chapters 1, 2, and 4 are actually written. Every verse is a different letter, like A through Z. It'd be like all the different letters. And chapter 3, I told you last week, it's all, they're all just poetic moments. And the reason for the poetic structure of the book of Lamentations was just a memory tool. In other words, God wanted us to be able to get the book of Lamentations deep within our hearts. He wanted us to experience the pain of disobedience. He wanted us to embrace what it means to walk outside the context of what he called right. And when we do, it leaves a big mark. Five chapters in the book of Lamentations was what we end up with. Really, the book of Lamentations was when, was when the world fell apart for the children of Israel. How many of you ever had those moments Maybe it was a moment in your life when you felt like your world fell apart. When you felt like, no, you're all alone and no one gets it. It was back in 1985. I remember uh, 18 years old. I'm getting ready to take off to go play college football. I'm excited and ready to go. I'm, one of, I'm the only kid in my family who had gone off to college. And so from a little town, no, nobody left. Everyone stuck around there. But I remember I was getting ready to take off to go and, and excited and all. But, but I remember my mom, my dad, uh, and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Polly, we're all, we all got into the family van, big old Econo van, and we loaded all my stuff in the back of it, and we headed for Central Washington University. So we started heading over the mountains, and we get on top of Snoqualmie Pass, and I'll never forget it. The, the mood in the car ride was, it was jovial. I mean, we were laughing and talking and all the kinds of stuff, and, and then my dad got a little serious, right up at the, the apex of the pass. He said, uh, hey, hey, Lance, uh, I know you're getting ready to take off. I know you're, we're taking you to school. We're going to drop you off. But there's something your mom and I wanted to talk to you about. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, I'm all ears. Why now? Right? I mean, I'm like, what? And he goes, uh, I want you to know that when you come home from Christmas, I won't be here. I said, wait, what? He goes, your mom and I are getting a divorce. I thought you should know. And then we pulled, and I remember thinking to myself, like, what in the world just happened? They drove me over, and I remember, I remember dropping me off, thinking to myself, like, everything's going to be different. <laughs> I'm not going to come home to home. It's home's going to be different, and I'm not, my mom might have to move, and my siblings. I just remember thinking my world had fallen apart. 18-year-old kid, first one to leave off the family. See, maybe that's happened in your life. Maybe you had something that happened to you that caused your world to turn upside down. Maybe your marriage went sideways. You found out something you never thought should happen. Maybe you got the pink slip at work and you thought, oh my gosh, I thought I had this job in the bag and this is what I was supposed to be. Maybe you heard some news from your children that you never thought you would hear. Maybe you got a message from a doctor I don't know what it is, but something happened in your life that caused your world to turn upside down. And you felt that hopelessness. You felt that sense of, oh God, where are you? Come on. I mean, you know what, what, what it feels like? That, that, that lonely sense of like, I don't even know if I can breathe another breath. See, that's what it felt like for the children of Israel. The writer of the book of Lamentations begins to talk to these people about their world turning upside down. And he begins to say, hey, listen, there is a day a coming when this isn't going to hurt like it hurts. Can I just tell you, if you might be in that place right now where your world is turned upside down, 
you feel like you're never going to make it. Taking one step in front of the other is the biggest thing you possibly can do. Can I first of all just tell you this? I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You made the right choice to come and find a measure of hope because you're going to get beyond this. There is a tomorrow coming. And Jesus is already in it. Amen. Book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1 verse 1 says this. Jerusalem streets once bustling with people are now silent. Like a widow broken with grief, she sits alone in her mourning. Once the queen of the nations, she is now slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to help her. All her friends have betrayed her. They are now her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, afflicted and enslaved. She lives among the foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down. She has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, no longer filled with crowds on their way to celebrate in the temple festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitterly Jerusalem weeps. Her oppressors have become her masters and her enemies prosper. The Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away from distant lands. All the beauty and the majesty of Jerusalem is gone. Her princes are like starving deer searching for pasture, too weak to run from the pursuing enemy. You just feel the hopelessness and the, the weightiness and despair on the writer of, of this passage. Turn over, if you can, to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 19 says this. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I will still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. His mercy, by His mercies, we have been kept, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait on Him and seek Him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord, and it is good for the young to submit to the yoke of discipline. Somebody say amen. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands, and let them lie face down in the dust, and at last there is hope for them. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them, and let them accept the insults of their enemies, for the Lord is not aban- will not abandon. The Lord does not abandon anyone forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion according to his greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Someone needs to put that verse 33 to memory. He does not enjoy hurting people and causing them sorrow. I want to give you a word of hope today. But before I give you a word of hope, let me just throw this nugget at you and tell you this. That in the middle of the deepest, darkest night of your soul, Whatever the moments are that you find yourself in, where you feel like your world is turned upside down, I want you to know this. It's then and only then that you can finally realize that God is all you need. When you're in your darkest, most desperate moments, God shows up. I remember the times in my life when I felt like nobody could understand. All I had was Jesus. Let me tell you, when you're in your darkest night of your soul, He's all you got, and it's then that you'll finally realize that He's all you've ever had. 
The problem with us is that we just add so many things to this walk with God thinking that, well, I have Jesus and I have my job and I have my spouse and I have my this and I have my that. Literally, when you finally get to the place when you've lost everything, he's all you got. And the truth of the matter is he's all you've ever had. We've just added all the other things on top of it to somehow, that that was what happened to the rich young ruler in the New Testament when Jesus said to him, hey, listen, go sell all your stuff and be done with it and then come follow me. The Bible said he went away sorrowful, right? And Justin mentioned it the other day when he was preaching, but literally that passage could have actually meant this. It didn't mean that he was supposed to get up and sell all of his stuff at that moment. Literally, he was saying this, you go ahead and give everything away. Whether whether your father's alive now or not, just get it all and you come follow me because I'm all you need. I've said it this way in our church before. Jesus doesn't want to be number one in your life. Listen to me closely. Jesus does not want to be number one in your life. He wants to be the only one in your life. Because if there's a number one, there's a number two and a number three and a number four. And what happens is is we get all that mixed up and number four becomes number one. Number three becomes number two. It gets crazy. He doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be all that you're living for. So you don't have to be, well, I'm a Christian at church and I'm I'm an employee at, at work. You get to be a Christian all the time. And you walk it out with him. Jesus is all you got. Let me help you just real quickly before we move on. I want to help you regain your balance. How many of you know when you have those moments when your world turns upside down that your equilibrium gets thrown off, right? You just feel like you can't even stand up straight. Your balance gets thrown off. I want to help you learn how to regain your balance when your world turns upside down. So write these things down. You want to regain your balance when when your world turns upside down. Number one, grieve loss appropriately. Lamentations 3.19 says this, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. If you want to learn how to turn your, get, get, regain your balance and turn your world right side up, the first thing you need to do is grieve loss appropriately. You know, grief, grief stinks. Grief is hard. There's nothing about it that's fun. But it kind of gets a bad rap. Grief is one of those things. That, let me tell you this. Whether you, whether you choose to grieve or not, you're going to grieve. There's the grief process that have five stages and other people have disagreed to say there's less and more stages. But I'll tell you this, grief will happen. Like it or not. The real question is, is whether or not you'll recognize it as it's happening. Right? Because when grief is happening, sometimes we'll get super angry or depressed or discouraged or we start bargaining and all the things that go on in the stages of grief and at some level, we'll either embrace it and say, okay, that's what it is. The, the stages of grief are really like laps on a track, Right? And you know what happens when you run laps on a track? Here's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to actually get stronger as you're running laps on a track. The stages of grief are supposed to be processes for you to actually move through that you can actually process what happens. But when we don't embrace the processes of grief, when we don't say, okay, listen, God, we did do wrong and lost our country. We did do wrong and we lost our nation, the children of Israel. We didn't embrace and accept where we've been. Then we just find ourselves perpetually living our fist up at heaven saying, God, how could you? See, if we can't embrace the darkest nights of our soul to realize that we may have had some ownership in that, we might have had, or, or the fact that we could accept whether we owned it or not, it's part of my life now, then we'll never really get any better. We'll just get really super bitter. See, if you don't embrace the process of grief and begin to move on through it, then what happens is is you just get super bitter. Have you ever known anybody to just like spend their life bitter day in and day out? Let me tell you, if you want to see something stunt your growth, that's it. 
That's it. When you get hard, hard, a hard at heart will absolutely embitter you and, and kill you really slowly. Stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, all of those are happening. I remember the season of my life, man, where I just felt like, I literally felt like the, the planet was going to end and I was so discouraged. And I remember thinking through all of these stages of being super angry and then bargaining with God and then saying, I feel horrible. And, and I knew that the end goal was to somehow come to acceptance and I could smell acceptance. I could almost touch acceptance and believe that this is the new normal. But then I'd run back to depression. I'd run back to anger. I would get all angry again and frustrated. And, and, and I went to my counselor and talked to him. You know what he said? This is really normal. And I was like, I just want to get to acceptance so I can move on and feel better. He said, that's the problem is when you're starting to, your goal is just to feel better. He said, the goal is to understand and accept what you got going on and vicariously you'll feel better. But we get to the, begin to the place where your new normal is what you're going to hang on to. We need to learn, if we're going to begin to regain our balance, we need to learn how to grieve appropriately. There's some really good resources out there. Just don't do it on your own. What kind of things bring about grief? All kinds of things bring about grief. Loss, uh, uh, loss of a job, uh, some, some sort of a discouraging moment, information, news that you didn't know about. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that we walk through areas of grief. The, the, real, the real destructive part is when we fake our way through it. No, I'm good, thanks. You, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. It's kind of the American way. Actually, it's the American Christian way. How are you? Good, you? Come on. At some point when we finally realize, well, <laughs> we sucketh, right? There's actually a, there's a word in the Bible. Come on, I didn't just make it up. We stink. We got to figure out how to get in grieve appropriately, right? You know, there's inappropriate ways to grieve, right? Drinking smoking, other relationships, not your own, sinful behaviors. All those kind of destructive things happen when we don't grieve right. Because your body is saying, I've got to deal. And what happens when we don't deal right and appropriately, we'll do it inappropriately. And it just becomes destructive, not only to you, but to those closest to you. Amen. To regain your balance, number one, we need to learn how to grieve appropriately. Number two, to regain our balance, we have to dare to hope again. Dare to hope again. Lamentations 3.21 says this, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the unfailing love of the Lord never ends. His mercies have been kept, from, kept me from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will put my hope in him. We have to dare to put hope in him. Literally in Hebrew, the words dare to hope mean this, Choose to turn back. Dare to hope means to choose to return. Choose to return back. To dare to hope, it almost sounds like something you should put on your bumper sticker, right? Dare to hope. You know, there's something about that. Let me tell you, it's more than just sort of a quippy phrase. To dare to hope literally means to say, I choose to return to truth. To dare to hope. At some point, I love this because the, the writer of Lamentations, the one who's like, listen, this is Jeremiah. He should have been the one that said, neener, neener, I told you so. He should have just said like, if you all would listen to me, this never would have happened. Instead, he simply says, listen, I am you, I'm one of you, and I'm gonna choose to hope because the God I know is the God who loves me. The God I know, he's daring to hope. He's daring to return back to what he knows to be true. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think the writer of Lamentations at this point felt like this. I got a funny feeling he didn't feel the mercies of God were awesome. 
I don't know for sure, but if he's human like me, I gotta believe at some point that he was fighting his flesh too. And his flesh was probably saying, look around you at all the destruction. Your neighbors aren't there anymore. Your friends, your husband, your wife, all these people are gone. I don't think that the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ends is the first verse that rolls off your tongue in the middle of that moment. I got a funny feeling that he was saying what was true because it was true. You wanna dare to hope again, you gotta begin to hang on to true things you got to hang on to truth. you got to decide, I'm going to hang on to truth. You, you, to dare to hope again, you got to be able to say, I know what's true, not how I feel, but I know what is true, and I'm going to hang on to that with all that I am. Some of you, let me tell you this, some of you in the middle of your marriages, when it feels like it's all about, you feel like your world has been turned upside down, the only thing you know that is true is that little thing that's sitting on your ring finger on your hand. And you know that you stood in front of people when you said, till death do us part. And you stood up there and you said, I will stay faithful. And you walked, let me tell you this right now, when they didn't remain faithful, and you decide in your heart, I will choose to walk this out. Someone say amen. Doesn't show up well in this culture, does it? Me to just preach on about that. Let me tell you this. The Bible's very clear about marriage. And he says, listen, you stay in it. You walk it out. And, and let me tell you this. Will it be hard? No question. If you've been married for 10 seconds, it's hard. If you've been married for 20 seconds, super hard. Let me tell you this. What? It, it's just because anytime you put two humans together, it's going to be difficult. Some of you have made a commitment to a contract in your work or whatever it is. And, and you just, you want to just chuck it and move on. Let me tell you this. When you begin to return to hope, you say, listen, I'm going to honor my word. I'm going to honor my word. When you begin to do the things that are right, when you begin to do the things that are, are just, that God begins to then be give you the hope. Uh, let me tell you another thing to return to hope. We need to begin to dare to forgive the people who have hurt us in the past. To, to return to hope means to, that we got to dare to not retaliate when everything in our side says we should Daring to hope means to move beyond regret and to walk in the peace that God has for us. Daring to hope is difficult. Daring to hope is not easy. But if you want to regain your balance in the middle of your world that's been turned upside down, you have to choose to dare to hope. I love even how the writer puts it when he says, dare to hope. Literally, the English is saying, make a decision to return back to hope, regardless of how you feel. Finally, number three, to regain your balance when your world falls apart. Wait and seek him quietly. Wait and seek him quietly. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wait and seek him quietly. Man, that is so contrary to our culture that just says, scream and yell in the streets about the injustices that have happened to us. The, the words quietly here don't mean to keep your mouth shut. The words quietly are, are, are more in inclined to believe uh, uh, clearly not a runner, me, right? I just want you to know, I'm not a long distance runner, not a sprinter. I've never been a sprinter. I, in track, I was a thrower. I threw the shot put, right? And the discus and the javelin. And let me tell you this. There's a phrase, if you're a, if you're a quiet runner or a quiet thrower, what it means literally is this not wasting excess energy. So if you're a quiet runner, somebody who's a sprinter, you'll notice the Olympians when they're swimming, they're, they're running, they, they run like this, this crazy, there's no bobbing up and down, it's just straight up just going for it, right? And, they're go, and, and literally what they're doing is they're running quietly. 
But when you're throwing quietly, you're just not bobbing up and down. You're just throwing it right. But, but the thing is, is there's just not wasted energy. When you're waiting on the Lord, he literally, the word here in the Hebrew means this, to wait without undue energy. To wait on the Lord. Literally, the word wait on the Lord doesn't mean do nothing. The Bible says those that wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will run and not grow weary. That They will walk and not grow faint. They will fly high on wings like eagles. Wait. Wait is not a, a passive word. It is an active word. It's a verb. It literally means to sit with an anticipation that God is about to do something. If you want to regain your hope, you want to regain uh, your, your balance in the middle of your world falling apart, there has to be a waiting and seeking of God that is not connected to how you feel. It's connected to what he is. And we can wait with an anticipation. Wait and seek. The word seek there comes from this Hebrew word bakash. Literally means this, to seek. It, it means to, to, to uh, remember the feeling you, you used to get when you, were, uh, uh, when you lost your child in the mall? You ever had that happen? Your child walks away from you and you're like, oh, you lose your mind, right? That, that moment you're like, I gotta find her, I gotta find her, whatever it is. You, you ever had that happen? Don't tell me I'm alone on that one, right? You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that anxiousness you feel, is where we get the word bakash. I, or even the kid who's been lost. Trust me, they understand bakash. They're trying to find you or they're completely distracted. But they're, they're, they're trying that, that idea. When he says to wait, there's a waiting without spreading extra energy, seeking God with a passion that says, I've got to find another breath. That's what he says. If we're going to find our new equilibrium, if we're going to get our, our lives turned back side up, we, we have to be able to say, God, I choose to wait and seek you quietly. Quietly. Running with endurance and perseverance, but quietly. Translation, between you and me, God. I don't have to run around telling everybody my problems. I get to say, God, I trust you as I grieve right I gotta trust you as I run, as I, as I wait and seek you quietly. Some of you this morning, your worlds have been turned upside down. And God is telling you, grieve loss appropriately. Dare to hope again. Wait and seek him quietly. I remember watching my parents drive away. I was sitting in front of Comola Hall in Ellensburg, Washington. I remember the yellow van driving away. It was, I remember because just behind it was Frazzini's Pizza. I remember that. Right? I remember seeing Frazzini's Pizza, and they were driving right there. You've been a century, you know what I'm talking about, right? So, right? And I remember, I remember all of my stuff. I had my big blue chest and my bags all sitting on the lawn of Camola Hall, knowing that my parents are getting divorced, knowing that I'm ready to start football, and I'm a freshman, and I'm scared to death, waiting for some guys in the football team to come pick me up, Watched the van drive right out of town, and I was like, I started crying. But I remembered two months before that, Jesus met me in a really unique way. He said, There will be dark nights you're going to hit, Lance, one of these days, and you need to come running to me when that happens. 
all 18 years of being, <laughs> my two months of being a Christian, I remember thinking, I've got to get back to Jesus. Where are you today? Where are you today? Have you been thrown off? Is your world turned upside down? Have you forgotten Jesus? Let's pray. God, this morning, and this journey with this life we live isn't an easy one. But Lord, we know that it's true that we can find hope in you. God, there are so many men and women here today and those who are listening to us online, Lord, who've experienced such incredible tragedy. I pray today that you would help us in the midst of our world turning upside down, that we would realize that you're all we need. God, there's vans that have driven away in the lives of so many of these people listening to me today. And they understand what it means to be left holding the bag. I pray for them today that they would find their hope in you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you remember that walk you used to have with Jesus. You remember what it used to be like. You remember the sweet, sweet sound of his voice. But you've walked away from it. God's not asking you today to return, to, to, to have to re-get re born again. He's saying simply, will you just return to me? Get realigned with my life? If that's you this morning and you want to realign your life with God, say, God, that's me. Take me, get, I give my life back to you completely. And maybe for the first time, you've, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. But the hope that you need is all found in him. And if that's you this morning, you say, Jesus, that's me. I give my life to you. I need that hope because my world's in shambles. I need you today, God. I surrender all that I am for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lamentations. It's good. Guys, listen, don't forget to, to, to read your journals this week. I'm telling you, there's something about us all reading together. By these, this is the same, it's the same book. I want you to know, like, this is the free version. This only goes 21 days. This goes six months. Just 12 bucks. It has our name on it. That's why. So uh, the other, let me tell you this. Grab the ones for your kids. It's the same verses. We want you to do it together. And then join us here this Friday at seven o'clock. I'm telling you, your life will get changed. It'll be a lot of fun. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet?